Well, good morning, MVC. Great to great to see you guys. And uh, can I just take a sappy moment for a second and just tell you how much I love being your pastor? Um, I just uh, I love it, man. And in October, we get to celebrate three years together. Um, I know we kind of lost a year there with COVID, just sort of just came and went. But uh, three years together, and let me say it has been an absolute blast. Like. Absolute blast. Last night I got to spend some time with a few families uh, celebrating the 4th. And um, Bart came over this morning. He said, man, we got a, a glimpse into Holland family life last night. That was, that was wild. <laughs> uh, yes, brother, it is. It is. But let me just say, you, you guys as a church, man, you're such a genuine people. And I love that. Like real people. And I think that is what makes you so unique is there's no facade. You're just real people. But I thank you that you have really loved us. And I love you. All right. Enough mushy stuff, right? Um, Let's get into God's word together. Uh, Today we get to finish up our study in the book of Acts. And so we'll be in the very last chapter, chapter 28. Uh, So if you'll find your place there before we read our text for this morning, I want to do a recap through the storyline. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, come on. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's where we've been. Jesus was crucified after being declared innocent four different times. He went to the cross. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He appeared alive to over 500 people, having meals with them and teaching them the truths of the scripture about himself. This man, Jesus, who loved the lowest, stood strong against the highest. He endured the worst and came out the best. So the book of Acts begins here, just after the resurrection of Jesus Just a few weeks have passed. Hundreds of people have walked with him, talked with him, eaten with him. A resurrected man is leading a small group of followers. So the book of Acts begins at that point, just before Jesus sort of flies up into the clouds in Superman style. That's the way I imagine it anyway. Uh, Jesus told these followers that power would come on them. And they would have the power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. That verse, Acts 1.8, would prove to be the outline for the rest of the book. In chapter 2, the promised Holy Spirit comes on these apostles, these disciples in power. Jews from all over the world hear the message of the gospel Repent of their sins and believe Jesus is the Christ. 3,000 that day were baptized. Pentecost was amazing. And what we learn there as the church is beginning to take shape, what we learn is that the church is not a building. It's not a place. It's not an event. It's the gathering of those people who have repented of sin. And pledged their allegiance to Jesus Christ as Savior 
and Lord. The church is a people, right? The church had been given power in the Holy Spirit. They had been given a message to proclaim. Peter's first sermon, to to boil it all down to one verse in chapter 2, verse 36, he said, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Lord and Christ. So they were given power. They were given a message to proclaim. And then they became a people, a new community of people following the way of life of this man, Jesus. So don't miss this. Their gospel message was convincing because their gospel community was compelling. There was something powerful about this new group of people who previously had nothing in common, but now because of the gospel of Jesus, it seems they have all things in common. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Acts 4, 32, we're told, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. But they had all things in common. This group of strangers has become a family. By Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 people believe in Jesus after witnessing the healing of a paralytic man. And listening to the bold preaching of Peter and John. By chapter 5, more than ever, more than ever, the Bible says, multitudes of men and women are believing The movement has grown to the point now where the Jewish religious crowd are very concerned. They come together, they even conspire and consider an all-out attack on this new church movement. But one among them stands up, a leader, a teacher named Gamaliel stands up and in chapter 5 he says, he reasons with them and he says, if this is of man... It will fail. But if it's of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You might even find yourself opposing God. Well, his argument was convincing, except for to, the, to uh, Saul, his star student. Saul was not convinced. He was such a zealous um, leader, an up-and-coming star in the law... That he wanted to see this Jesus movement die, even if it meant the death of some of its leaders. So in Acts chapter 7, Saul gives the go-ahead for killing a man named Stephen, a, a follower of Jesus, who's leading and preaching and full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Christian church. Well, history is going to look back on that moment. A hundred years later, A church father named Tertullian is quoted for saying these words, and I thought they're beautiful. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Saul thought that he would just bury this movement. He didn't realize when he buried Stephen that Stephen was a seed. It's so true. The more they fought against Jesus' followers, the more we see the Holy Spirit's power To even use their force to spread the gospel. It was kind of like kicking an anthill. You remember we used that expression. 
I can remember as a kid just walking to a, an anthill mound and sort of kicking that thing and thinking I've won. And the next day you come back and where there was one mound, there's now five, right? I did nothing but spread, but scatter the ants. And the same is happening in the New Testament in the book of Acts. All the opposition to stomp them out only scatters them around. So crazy things happen here. Saul killed Stephen. But Stephen's last prayer, his dying breath, is used to pray, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That prayer would ring out an echo. Sounds a lot like his master Jesus from the cross who prayed, Father, forgive them. And here we get a glimpse of God's sovereign rule even through suffering. You see, Saul chased these Christians all the way to a city called Damascus. But the resurrected Jesus met him on the road. And the light of Jesus blinded his eyes and opened his heart to believe. And Saul, the one who was a great persecutor, is going to become a great preacher. Well, from here, Luke diverts over and talks about Peter for a moment. How Peter is taking the gospel in Acts chapter 10 and 11 to a Roman centurion. Get this now. A Jew is taking the gospel to a Gentile ruler's home. Not just a Gentile, but a Roman uh, guard. This is where we see that this king, Jesus, is not just the king of the Jews, but of all people. And we discover that God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile and that there are no kinds of people. But all people are sinners in need of one Savior, Jesus. After Stephen's death, the Christians, like we said, were scattered all over the place. Um, and many churches were started. Everywhere the Christians were scattered, they went about preaching the word and they, they started new churches. Well, in a city called Antioch, Barnabas began raising up and discipling up a church. And seeing many people added to the Lord, he went to Tarsus to get a Bible teacher named Saul. Are y'all seeing the beautiful irony here? Same Saul on the road to Damascus. So here's the crazy thing. Uh, in Acts 13, the Antioch church sets apart Saul and Barnabas and sends them out as missionaries. How about that for a, a crazy turn of events? Let me just encapsulate this for you. Saul's murderous persecution scatters the church to where they, they land in a city called Antioch. Years later, the church in Antioch would be the one to send out Saul as a missionary. The persecutor started the church that sent him as a missionary. <laughs> you can't write this story. You can't make this stuff up, right? This is amazing stuff. So Saul and Barney, that's what I call it, Barney. Saul and Barney, they go carrying the gospel message and planting churches all over the region in places like Lystra, and Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus. And we learn along the way that God is in every detail. In places where Paul wanted to go, the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to go this way. And other times Paul was fed up and wanted to leave and the Holy Spirit said, no, you stay. I still have people here that I'm saving. You continue to preach and I'll do my work. 
We see that God's in every detail. He's with us as we take his gospel to our world. And eventually, all these missionary journeys will come full circle. And Paul, that's the new name they've given him, will go back to Jerusalem to proclaim the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a big message for Jews who believe in the law. And Paul's going to go back and he's going to say, God has done what the law could not do. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the message Paul comes to Jerusalem to bring. But it's not well received. A riot breaks out in the temple and Paul is arrested by the Romans. He stands before one ruler after another, sharing his testimony of being transformed from a persecutor to a preacher of the gospel. He endures years in prison and will ultimately be sent to Rome to stand before Caesar. So this brings us to our text. Paul's finally under house arrest in Rome. Jesus has promised that Paul will testify before Caesar, even though the book of Acts doesn't actually include that story. It comes to a very abrupt end before that actually happens. Luke, the author of Acts, his main goal is not a biography of the life of Paul. Rather, to tell the story of of the spreading kingdom of God through the spirit-filled church. Everyday people empowered and sent with the good news of God's salvation. So this book opens with a promise to spread the good news from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, from Jew to Gentile. And we've seen the gospel go from a small cluster of Jewish disciples in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, all the way to governors and kings in Rome in Acts 28. Jesus has been faithful to what he promised. Amen? Amen? And here's what I want us to see today. The story's not over. Jesus is still building his kingdom. And we're a part of it. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet as we read Acts 28. And we finish the book today. I'm going to pick up in verse 23. And read all the way to the end. Paul's been giving testimony about the hope of Israel. He's saying the hope of Israel is Jesus Christ. We begin in verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your word. We thank you that every word on these pages is inspired by the Holy Spirit, is spoken to tell the story of the unfolding kingdom of God and its king, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we're here today because we believe you have a word for us from this text. So, Lord, would you speak to this church? Would you empower us and equip us for the mission of taking the gospel to all nations? Across the street and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been sucked into the storyline of an incredible movie? And you've been watching the movie with great suspense, right? And you're just anticipating the resolution of whatever the conflict may be in the movie. And you're you're holding on, you're at the edge of your seat. This is the greatest movie. This is amazing. And then the screen goes black. And three little words pop up. To be continued. Yeah. That's how I feel when we come to the end of this book, right? (laughs) The book of Acts ends in a similar way. So much momentum is built. We've been tracking the spread of the gospel and the church planting movement for about 30 years. Not, Not us for 30 years. It may feel like that, um, but we've, we've, uh, we've gone across 30 years of time in the book and about 30 years. But so much is left unsaid, right? There's a lot of things that are yet to unfold and a lot of things that, are, that seem to be happening. And Luke just sort of leaves us hanging. There's not a neat and tidy conclusion to the book. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the Holy Spirit intended to leave this book somewhat unfinished so that we, also ordinary people, also empowered by the Holy Spirit, would be compelled to go with this good news. Church, listen up. You are the sequel. The stories are still being written of people taking bold steps of faith to go and tell and people hearing the gospel and surrendering their lives to King Jesus. Churches still being planted, God's kingdom still spreading to the nations. And if we remain faithful to the Lord, we will be a part of his plan to redeem a people. From every nation and tribe and tongue. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe that as a a small little church in north central Alabama, we can be a part 
of building the kingdom of God for all eternity? Do you believe that your voice and your message, that God would use it to radically change not just your neighborhood, but yes, that, but the world? I mean, seriously, when we read the book of Acts, we're reading the lives of ordinary people. They're only famous 2,000 years later. These are regular folks, mostly unheard of in their day. And yet here you are because of them. Because of what God did through these ordinary people. We're here today. The Lord has built his kingdom through their faithfulness. This mission is far from over, right? It is to be continued. And that is the reason I titled this message that way. The church today is how God intends to accomplish his mission. And the global church, yes, all believers in all places, yes. And Mountain View Church specifically, yes. We must have a global vision for what God is doing. We must think on a daily basis bigger than just our everyday surroundings. We have to see what the Holy Spirit may be doing through us that we may never see. So I want us to consider what's happening in the final words of the book of Acts. Paul is testifying, the Bible says, to the kingdom. He's trying to convince these Jews that Jesus is the Messiah King they've waited for. He works tirelessly to show them from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills every point of prophecy. Every prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus fits it perfectly. Isn't that amazing? So he's trying to convince, trying to persuade these Jews that the king they've been looking for is Jesus. That he came, died, rose again, and he is seated on the throne. Paul's message to to these Jews is simple. Jesus is not the leader of some new cult. No. He's the hope of Israel. Jesus is the resurrected king of the line of David. This is what they've been waiting for. And Jesus is the fulfillment. So Paul pours out his heart and soul into a whole day, morning to evening, it says, of impassioned declaration of Jesus Christ as king. And these holy rollers. Is that okay? These holy rollers shrug their shoulders. Meh. Meh. I imagine Paul is exasperated, right? Frustrated, exasperated. The Bible says some are convinced. It's worth noting that's not the word for belief. Pistiuo is the Greek word for belief. That's not that word. This is a mental convinced. This is a a cognitive understanding. They are convinced. So this does not mean they're converted is what I'm telling you. They see logical facts from Paul's persuasion and they're not in a position to deny them. Do you know it's possible to mentally know the facts about God, to be convinced about Jesus and not be converted? Oh yeah. Paul says it's actually very dangerous. The Bible says some are convinced and others continue in their disbelief. So Paul applies a prophetic 
Isaiah's prophetic words to these Jewish leaders and their fathers. Look what he says. The Holy Spirit was right. I want to go. Well, Yeah, Paul, he's always he's always right. (laughs) But Paul saying the Holy Spirit was right when he said this. You hear, but you don't understand. You see. You have eyes, but you don't you don't see. Your heart has grown dull. Essentially, Paul is pointing at their rejection of truth and saying, you're just like your forefathers. Now, there was another man who preached like that named Stephen. And Paul shut him up with stones. Now, Paul is preaching the exact same message to his peers. Here's what he's saying. You've hit the mute button on the Holy Spirit so long you can no longer hear him. You've turned a blind eye to the movement of God for so long you couldn't see it if you wanted to. Your heart can no longer be stirred, not even by the glorious truth that the long awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel has come for you. Therefore, Paul says, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And then he adds these three words, they will listen. Church, we better see a warning and a truth in this passage. The warning is this. Don't ignore God. You're not promised endless opportunities to hear and believe. So don't reject him. Don't reject him today. So many times Jesus said in the New Testament, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So if you have ears to hear this morning, listen and trust Christ. Don't ignore God. There will come a day where your heart hardens, your ears deafen, your eyes go dim. And faith for you is not an option. You're calloused to the Lord. It's a kind of judgment of God. Don't ignore God. That's a warning. And then there's a truth in this text. The truth is this, that the message of salvation is on the move. (laughs) The message of salvation is on the move. It's from those rejecting Jews and to those receiving Gentiles. There are those who will listen and believe, is what Paul's saying. They will listen. This message is being sent to them. God is sending His message of salvation to those who will listen. Now, this truth ought to affirm us as we go for the Lord, as we preach, there will be some to hear. As we go, as we preach, there will be some to listen and believe. We ought to be affirmed in that. We also ought to be mindful that God's message is always on the move. He's on the move. The phrase, they will listen, just struck me. It's so strong. It's, uh, I don't know if, uh, if that was sort of a punch to the gut from Paul to these religious leaders. Like, hey, they, they, they listen. You guys. I don't know if that's how that came across. I don't know. But here's what I want you to know. We are a Gentile church. In a Gentile community. 
We are gathered as Jesus' followers today because the message of salvation was sent to us. Someone told you about the gospel and you listened. They will listen is the promise to those who go and speak the truth. They will listen, not because you're such a good preacher, not because I'm such a good preacher, but because God is gathering his family. And he's chosen to use us in the silly sovereignty of God. He's chosen to use mouthpieces like us to take the beautiful message of the gospel to the world. It is laughable. <laughs> I'm with you. I can't believe it, right? I can't believe to be, that, that we are a part of this kingdom building work. So let's spend the last few minutes now considering how Paul made the most of his time. The last two verses of the book of Acts, I think, give us a good model for what it looks like to live for the kingdom, even under house arrest in Rome. So... Uh, I think about all the limitations that I might would present, all the excuses for why I couldn't go preach the gospel. And I think at the last few verses of the book of Acts, the Lord gets rid of all excuses by taking his biggest, best mouthpiece, the Apostle Paul, and putting him under house arrest in a Roman city under the emperor Nero to proclaim the gospel. I don't have any excuse, do you? So Paul, how does he live for the kingdom? How does he build the kingdom in this circumstance? I want to just quickly run through these five things that are straight from the text. The Bible says he lived there. He lived there for two years. He did this at his own expense. We're going to tie all these together in just a moment. Luke writes and says that Paul was welcoming all. He welcomed all. He was proclaiming the kingdom, constantly telling people about the good news of the kingdom. And lastly, it says he's teaching. The word there is uh, didaskalon. It's the, it's the word to, to explain all things about Jesus. Proclaiming the kingdom. That's That's a a preaching, a proclamation, heralding the kingdom and then explaining, teaching about Jesus. Now, let's bring this home. How do we live for the kingdom today? Based on this example from Paul, I want to give you five exhortations. Number one, plant yourself. Plant yourself. Give yourself to a people. Here's what I mean. Be with people. Be with them. Be light in darkness and stay long enough that it hurts if you leave. Like build deep enough roots of relationship that you feel the pain of of separation when that if and when that happens. Like invest your life, plant yourself. Be present. And just a a word on this. Present does not equal proximity. And we we know what that 
means, like there's a way, and you know this, especially in our culture, there's a way to be with people and not be with them. Am I right? Yeah. Hey, hey. Unplug from all the things and give yourself fully to some people. Watch what God will do. You know, we are not like God in His omnipresence. This thing is lying to you. Teaching you that you can be anywhere and everywhere at all times. And you ultimately are nowhere at any time. Don't believe it. Plant yourself with some people. And ask God to do crazy, incredible things in their lives. Give yourself fully to those moments. Paul was planted. Secondly, invest in the kingdom. Paul put his money where his mouth is. Luke gives us this little detail that I think is essential. He says, at his own expense. And here's what I wonder. If the advancement of the kingdom depended on your investment in it, how far would it go? If it matters for all eternity, then surely it matters enough now. Jesus taught us to lay aside earthly treasures and lay up treasures in heaven. So what kind of impact can we make for the kingdom? Church, dream with me. What kind of kingdom impact could we make if every one of us would make personal sacrifices and invest richly into the kingdom to take ownership, personal ownership of the advancement of the gospel. Not just with our mouths, but we put our money where our mouth is. Invest your resources here and now for the eternal kingdom of God. I could go through details of your generosity as a church, and it would be commendable to you. This church, long before I came, has given so much to the sake of the kingdom. So much of what comes in is given away right off the top. And it's given to frontline missionaries who are living in some of the darkest places and most difficult places of the world. That's commendable. But I would say to you, what could God do if each of us live for the kingdom at our own expense? Invest in his kingdom. Thirdly, open up. Open up. Luke writes about Paul. It says that he welcomed all. He welcomed all. I want you to get the imagery of just open arms, a welcome. All are welcome to come hang out with Paul, right? He's got chains hanging from those arms, but everybody's welcome to come. Open your home. You say, my home is my sanctuary. It's where I go to get away from everybody. Open your home. That's where people really get to know you. Open your life. Let the messiness of your life, the craziness of your world overlap with some people. 
Like do life with them enough to where they see you get mad at your kids or they see you, um, you know, gripe at your husband or they they hear you backseat driving and uh, that doesn't go well. We could go through stories, right? But real life. It happens when we open up. Paul exercised an unprejudiced gospel hospitality. The Bible says he welcomed all. Get this. No one excluded. Everyone welcomed. So share your dinner table. Share your living room. Share your life. Love your neighbors to Jesus. Open up. Open up. Let's open up, church. Fourth, swim upstream. Swim upstream. This is how we proclaim the kingdom, right? So many things in this broken world flow contrary to the way of Jesus. In fact, that is the current. That's the way life is flowing. So if you kick it into neutral, you're going downhill. In order to walk with Christ, you swim upstream. You have to. He's going against the grain. And if you're following him, you're going with him. This world says, get. Get all you can. Jesus says, give. This world says, indulge yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. This world says, it's law and judgment. Jesus says, it's love and mercy. This world says busy is good. And Jesus says rest is best. We could go on and on and on, right? The examples are thorough. The way of Jesus is contrary to the way of this world. And if we're going to be kingdom people proclaiming a kingdom, we've got to swim upstream. Don't just go with the flow. Proclaim the kingdom. And fifthly, show and tell Jesus. Show and tell Jesus. There must be no question what our message is and who is the hero of our message of hope. His name is Jesus. Listen, we're not teaching people that celebrate recovery how to turn over a new leaf. We're teaching them to surrender to Christ. The hope of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And our message must be super, super clear. So show and tell Jesus. Uh, My four-year-old daughter, Reese, loved her preschool. Jeff, our kids went to preschool together. And they do show and tell a lot. And uh, so every week, or however often it was, Reese would take the same little tiger... To show and tell. I think it's a cheetah, actually. She would correct me. Uh, That's a cheetah, Daddy. And they call this Chi-Chi. Chi-Chi the cheetah. Well, about the third time taking her for show and tell, I said, baby, um, you took Chi-Chi like the last three times for show and tell. Like, you have lots of toys, lots of really cool things that we've bought you. Like, better than Chi-Chi. You could... You could take some other things and show some other things. Show and tell, you know, give some diversity here, right? 
And she said to me, yes, Daddy. I did take Chi-Chi the last several times, but I just want them to love it as much as I do. Show and tell Jesus. Show and tell Him again. Show and tell Him again. Show and tell Him again and again and again and again. Because you just want them to love Him as much as you do. Church, He's called us to proclaim His kingdom. And every day is show and tell day. Always bring Jesus. Christian, church, follower of Christ. The mission of the book of Acts is to be continued through you. We are the sequel. We have the same power, right? Come on now. We have the same power, right? We we have the same Holy Spirit. God's put the same Holy Spirit in us. Yes? Yes. We have the same gospel message about salvation and hope in Jesus Christ. We have the same Savior that we look to. We are the same as sinners in desperate need of a Savior. This is our message. It was their message. And we are now taking the baton of the race of the gospel. The same promise that Jesus gave to them, that he would be with them as they go. He promises to us, I'll be with you as you go across the street, as you go around the world, spreading the good news of the hope of the gospel of Jesus and building the kingdom. This kingdom building is to be continued. Are you up for the challenge? Come on. Are you up for the challenge? Okay. All right, church. Well, stand with me. Let's pray that God would raise us up as an army to build his kingdom for his glory.